0: Hello, hello everybody and welcome in our new ECHO episode. It's Maryam for tonight's topic and I have to say that it's been a while, isn't it? Well, finally we're back. Tonight I chose to dive with you in history a little bit and it's about women literacy in the Middle Ages, for it might be known, or not, that women back then were not that lucky as we are to buy and read books, less likely to write one or even open one. What was most spread in that time that books harm women and make them turn evil? In the Middle Ages, only a small percentage of the population could read or write. Men were most likely to be literate than women. And the main reason for this was that women were perceived weak and inferior to men and even less intellectual. Even in wealthy families, it was... Often considered wrong to spend time and money on teaching daughters or sisters to read and write. It has been estimated that in the latter Middle Ages, out of the total population, 10% of men and only 1% of women were literate. Most men were very hostile and against the idea of women becoming literate. Philip III told a friend women should not learn to read and write unless they are going to be nuns, as much harm has come from such knowledge." End of quote. Just like the movies pictured it for us, once a woman was a bit educated literate, they would consider her for a witch. Also, Geoffrey Chaucer warned about the danger of women writing books, he said, by God, if women had written stories as clerks have written their oratories, they would have written more of men's wickedness than all the sons of Adam could redress, end of saying, maybe he's right, well, a proper education was difficult to come by during the Middle Ages, and if a woman wanted that, or wanted a higher education she had to reach for a higher calling and join a convent or a monastery by the time the roman empire fell in the 5th century fighting skills and military prowess had superseded education as more critical while social and legislative norms during the middle ages were heavily rooted in roman and germanic origins the institution of education was abandoned for a time. However, as the church began increasing in power, it filled the void by developing the education system for religious purpose, only religious purpose. Soon after, monasteries and convents became centres for learning and it was mostly the privileged young men from nobility in the upper-middle class or sister. Affluent women, on the other hand, were required to have some literacy during the Middle Ages, but their learning was intended only to prepare them for being respectable wives and mothers. Mm, That's some contradiction. Higher learnings for nuns only. He was encouraged because they were required to comprehend biblical teachings. So, it was no coincidence that many of the earliest female intellectuals were nuns. Makes sense. Some convent offerings included reading and writing in Latin, arithmetic, grammar, music, morals, rhetoric, geometry, and astronomy, according to a 1980 article by Shirley Kersey in volume 58. Also, spinning, weaving and embroidery were also a large part of a nun's education and labour, writes Kersey. Particularly among nuns who came from affluent families, nuns who came from less classes, were expected to do more arduous labour as part of their religious duty, nuns were committed themselves to the highest scholarship, were treated as equal to men. So back then, if a lady wanted to be educated or literate, she had to join the church, do the labour and have this education. I would mention a woman to whom works had helped me a lot, Hildegard de Binnen. She entered a convent at the age of seven in 1105. Over the next 70 years, she produced poems, biography, and plays. Her essays covered a wide range of subjects, including medicine, biology, natural history, mineralogy, cosmology, and theology. Moreover, she was a gifted musician, she wrote hymns and the first European opera. Admirable. Another woman who lived in a convent, Eloise de Barcellette, who was separated from her husband and her teacher, Peter Abelard. She argued that there were great benefits from being literate. And I quote, We need never lack the pleasures of conversation, even when separated. We could enjoy each other's presence by exchange of written messages. Now, isn't that romantic? Despite many obstacles they faced, some women were literate and women's name appear on many documents that has survived. Some women authors also used male names, like publishing but undercover, using a man name or her Her husband name, her sibling name. For example, Julianne of Norwich, an important writer in the 14th century, was a nun from northern England. Her book, Revelations of Divine Love, contains her profound reflections on a series of 16 visions of the crucified Christ. Gradually, attitudes begin to change. Christine de Pizan, a very influential writer in the Middle Ages, argued that it was extremely important for mothers to arrange for their daughters to be taught how to read and write. And I quote, I am amazed by the opinion of some men who claim that they do not want their daughters or wives to be educated because they would be ruined as a result. Not all men, and especially the wisest, share the opinion that it is bad for women to be educated. But it is very true that many foolish men had claimed this because it upset them that women knew more than they did." End of quote. Her famous book, The City of Ladies, was the first history book written about women from the point of view of a woman. In the work, She argued that male historians had given a distorted picture of the role played by women in history. The book attempted to redress the balance by providing a positive view of women's achievement. Then, Bizan's next book, Three Virtues, gave advice on how women could improve the situation in the society. What an honourable woman! It also became fashionable in rich families after that to give daughters the Book of Hours. Those books contained a collection of different prayers and stories about the lives of saints and were often used to teach girls to read. Many Books of Hours were made for women. There is some evidence that they were sometimes given as a wedding present from a husband to his bride things are evolving. There were other factors that encouraged the growth of literacy. The introduction of the chimney flow that helped remove smoke from rooms and growing number of houses with glass windows helped to provide a more pleasant environment for reading. This is so... I can only imagine this... It goes, as we see in movies, running into some libraries or some booksellers and have this tiny story filled with pictures and colours and read and enjoy. Mm, Now I feel lucky for that. I feel so lucky that I'm living in these times. The thing is, we are not that... Um, much of readers ourselves nowadays, we have to admit that. And I think it is so important that a woman reads. So important, given all the materials we have, access to internet, bookstores everywhere, and even sometimes borrowing a book without needing to buy it. Well, the introduction after that of a printed book at the end of the fifteenth century dramatically reduced the cost of buying books. The growth in women literacy is reflected in the wills that have survived from the fifteenth and the fifteenth centuries. Those wills show that there were an increasing number of women owning books. Now Partially, literate women became increasingly common in the later middle ages. Given people would most likely come across pictures of Mary reading in their Bibles or prayer books, Mary was not the only woman to be portrayed with an open book. For example, a painting by Jane Wardishan shows Anne of Brittany kneeling before an open book. Also, another painting by Robert Campen and his assistants shows a woman reading in a painting of the Madonna and Child with Saints. In schools of the Middle Ages, the reading and writing were taught separately. Some aristocratic women were taught to read but might not be able to write themselves. Some of the famous women during the Middle Ages were able to read. One of the most greatest queens ever to rule England was Eleanor of She compensated for that by having people call scribes to write for her. During her reigns as the Queen of England and France, Eleanor was very concerned about the literacy of people living in Aquitaine. The famous poet Marie de France, may have performed or presented her stories to the court of Eleanor and her second husband, Henry. Marie, or Marie, wrote fables and lays for a living. Her stories became so popular during the Middle Ages that her works entertained both the French and English court and were translated into many different languages. Now, this is an evolution in things. I would also mention some of the finest books produced during the Middle Ages. I hope I'm, p- I'm pronouncing her name right. Marjorie Camp. She was born in Norfolk in about 1373. After a series of religious visions, Marjorie became a wandering preacher. She travelled all over Europe and eventually arrived in the Holy Land. Later on, Marjorie, who was illiterate, dictated to ascribe the story of her life. The result was the Book of Marjorie Kemp, the first autobiography to appear in the English language. By the 15th century, the number of women who could read had increased dramatically. The capacity to read and write was no longer an accomplishment, confined to to the clerical classes, but it was a norm. The wives and sisters of country gentlemen could often write as well as their husbands and brothers. Women literature has often been defined by by publishers as a category of writing by women. Though obviously this is true, many scholars find such definition reductive. What makes the history of women writing so interesting is that in many ways it is New area of study. The tradition of women writing has been much ignored due to the inferior position they held in male dominated societies. Now, before the introduction of women's literacy to college and into academia, the renewed efforts of scholars to explore, recover, and preserve the literary tradition, women themselves were often the only champions of themselves, their contemporaries, and their predecessors. Mary Wollstonecraft, I hope I'm pronouncing her name right, Mary Wollstonecraft, a vindication on the Rights of Women in 1792. It's a landmark treatise that paved the way for many women after her to not only publish their works, but also to engage in the overall critical discourse surrounding the issue of women in literature. Now imagine the braveness of this lady, fighting against society, and doing whatever it takes to give women, or to show them, their rights in writing and reading. Occasionally there were men who spoke out alongside women. Some of the first recorded attempts to note women's contribution to literature were catalogues published in the eighteenth century and were written by men. Feminine in seventeen fifty four by John Duncombe and Memories of Several Ladies of Great Britain who have been celebrated for their writings in 1752 by George Ballard. Yet, for the most part, the majority of people interested in reading and responding to works written by women were women. One prime example of this is The Female Advocate, a poem occasioned by reading, Mr. Duncombe, by Mary Scott in 1770. The poem was Scott's first publication and is notable because it praises other women writers publishing at the time, including children's writer Sarah Fielding and Aletitia Barbo, a writer whose political opinions eventually led to her being blacklisted after she published an inflammatory poem on her disagreement with the British Empire's involvement in the, in the Napoleonic Wars. What a war they had been through. In fact, only a renewed interest in women's literary history led Barbeau to retake her place in the literary canon. Virginia Woolf, coming to a figure. Virginia Woolf's Room of One's Own in the ninth. 19- is often considered a driving force behind the movement, considered by many to be Wolfe's masterwork. The long-form essay is taught through a fictionalised narrator and presents an argument on the necessity of both a metaphorical and literal room for women's literature within the literary tradition. The book also served as the inspiration for the Literary Journal Room. The journal was launched in 1975 and specifically seeks to publish and promote works by female writers. Virginia is actually one of the writers to whom I have huge respect and admiration to all her writings and efforts and I, I mean, I have a huge admiration to her, and also one of my favorite books for her is "To the Lighthouse." Seeing all of this could only in, incite our brains to think of how much women were brave. And I would say thirsty for knowledge and also having their rights. And it also incites us right now, women of today, to carry on and make a change or make an impact in this world. And I would quote from her what she says. Someone has to die in order that the rest of us should value life more. End of quote. Sadly, our episode has come to an end. Would you like our dive of today in history? I hope you did, because I myself enjoyed it. this, I would tell you, to take good care of yourselves, to walk daily and to drink a lot of water